Welcome, I'm Sirius Afshar, and this is the Wiggles Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. And in this episode, we explore the issue of the social protection needs for older informal workers. In the context of a growing aging population, also in the developing world, the debates around schemes to guarantee access to these informal workers to healthcare and to income security has become increasingly important. To help us understand more about the fundamental concepts, debates and trends around the social protection for older informal workers, in particular in Southeast Asia, we invited Aura Savigia. Aura is a specialist and an advocate on issues related to dignifying aging policies in Southeast Asia and in the Philippines in particular, where she is based. She is currently an affiliated at WIGO as the program consultant in Southeast Asia and older workers. And now, let's hear our talk with Aura Sevilla. Aura, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Cyrus, and thank you for this opportunity to be part of this podcast. So let's dive right into it. So let's start from the beginning. So why countries should focus their attention to the social protection needs of older informal workers? Yeah, this is a really good question, Cyrus. I think um, there's two things. I think that the countries should focus their attention to social protection of older workers. One, I'd like to specifically highlight the population aging is a global phenomenon. Population aging means that there are more older people than the younger people. In the definition of the UN, if your population have reached at least 7% of your population are 65 years old, it means that you're already an aging society. So globally, this is happening. And it, the older population is growing both in absolute and relative terms. For an instance, in 2019, there's only 1 in 11 um, number of older people aged 65. But in 2050, this will increase uh, 1 in 6. This is particularly important in informal workers for two reasons. One, there's what we call the feminization of aging, where women will outlive men. And as we all know, there are more women in the informal economy. So, it means that there would be more women informal workers in the future. Another is the pace of aging is actually faster in developing countries. Meaning, the time will take to move from aging society to an aged society is faster in developing countries. For example, it took 115 years for France to move from an aging society to an aged society. Aged society is basically you have more than 14% of your population is 65 years old and above. While, in contrast, in Vietnam, it will only take 19 years for them to become an aged society. So this means um, they have limited time and opportunity to adjust to an aged society. And these the developing countries are where informality are high. So if you say Vietnam will move to an aging society in, in 19 years, then you need to prepare all your systems. You need to have a good pension system. You have to have a good healthcare system. 
So, but if you only have 19 years to prepare, then it means the older people, particularly those in the informal economy, will be the one to be affected if you don't have this system in place. So, that's one reason. Another reason is that the newer evidence shows that the level of informality is actually higher among younger and older people. So, three out of four older persons are actually in informal employment globally. So, in, this is higher in regardless in socioeconomic development of the countries or region. So, older persons are more likely to be informal than of young people. So, if you will see the trend just for the population and the trend of the informal economy, you'll see that the trend is more on the aging or the older persons. So, that's the main reasons why we should talk about them and also the social protection needs. Excellent. So, you have recently interviewed domestic workers, home-based workers, street vendors for a scoping study. What were the main findings that you have observed there? Yeah, it's really good to actually hear the experiences from these organizations we are working with. For instance, we've talked with the international federations on domestic workers. And one of the things that they tell me is that one of the challenges of being an older domestic worker is that if you get older, the employer will no longer take your service. So you have to go back to your home. So one of the issues they have is they lost their housing. So because usually all these years they have free housing, right? As domestic workers, they live inside um, their employers. But when they get older, so their services are no longer being availed. So they have to come home. And then the problem is the children do not recognize them or they, they don't know where their children are anymore. So they... Most of these aging domestic workers have problems with housing. Another is that even there are countries that our employers are required to pay for their social security, many employers do not pay actually for this. So the ending is that when these domestic workers get older, they do not have any sort of pensions. And this is a problem as well with migrant domestic workers because Basically, there's no or limited unilateral or bilateral agreement with their pensions. For instance, if you are working in Hong Kong and if you are a domestic worker there for a very long time and then if you want to come back to your home country, like we're say Philippines, then your pension cannot be applied in the Philippines. So it only can be applied in Hong Kong. So those are one of the issues. Then... For home-based workers, home-based workers are basically, we know that their income based on their production, like how much you produce is what they pay. So if you are aging, for an instance, um, you're having um, problems with your vision that affects your production. So if this means that you have lesser production, then lesser income. And for street vendor, we know that one of their reasons, are their, their problem is also their right to public space. And this get, um, this get um, more difficult when you get older because you have to move your goods from one place to another. And then since you get older, you cannot leave heavy things anymore. So you have to get a help from someone younger and stronger. So then that means you have to pay. And it means... A lesser income for you because you have to pay 
other people to do the stuff that you usually do when you were younger. And similar with waste pickers, and since many of the older persons are not technologically savvy, so they get the tasks that are light but are also low paid. Because the younger ones get those that are more heavy work and then they get the higher pay. So these are just some of the sharings I've got from our members. And then it, it's really telling us that if the, your situation when you are younger as an informal worker is difficult, imagine if when you get older. Imagine it is when you have more physical difficulty and also if you don't get the respect and also the services that you need. Absolutely. Thank you, Aura. So what kind of schemes countries can implement to meet the needs of social protection for informal workers? Can you mention some examples of good practices of policies that uh, are being successful to ensure income security for all the workers and specifically cases from Southeast Asia, which is the, the context that you're more familiarized with. Yes, uh, that's also a really important question, but I'd like to highlight first that income security for older persons is actually identified as one of the four social security guarantees of a social protection floor. So this is defined in the ILO recommendation 202 and I'd like also to emphasize that, that social security is a right and income security for older workers is one of the core function of any comprehensive social protection system. So, however, despite having this loss and also background and uh, entitlements to older people, income security in old age remains an unfulfilled right for many, particularly the informal workers. For instance, globally, Almost a third of the world's population receive no pension at all. So whether this is contributory or non-contributory, which I will explain a bit. In particular, in Central and Southern Asia, there's only 26% and only 23% in Sub-Saharan Africa has pension versus 95% in Europe. This is based on the UN 2018 data. So this means many of the older workers particularly those in the developing countries, have no pension. So this means if they do not have pensions, they continue to work because they have no income securities. So that's why we see a lot of informal workers, even how old they are, they continue working because they have no pension or at least basic income for their everyday needs. There are critical gaps remain. Um, there are some positive trends, both in legal and effective coverage. For example, um, a number of countries have successfully expanding the effective coverage of their pension system, like in Bangladesh, India, in the Philippines, and also in Vietnam. This gap uh, are actually both um, made by what we call the contributory and non-contributory pensions. So let me just explain a bit. Contributory pensions are the ones like social insurances or social security where we contribute while we are younger. Um, these are the schemes usually run by government or private. So these are the ones that we pay either voluntarily or by our employer. But in the case of informal workers, since they do not have employers, they go to the scheme of voluntary. So if they are 
paying voluntary payment at certain years they were able to pay, then they get a pension at certain age. For example, in the Philippines, if you pay 120 months of your contribution to the Social Security, which is the private contributory system, then you are entitled to a pension at 60 or 65 years old. So that's what we call a contributory then on the other hand, this is what we call non-contributory system or the social pension. So these are tax finance pensions that you get at a certain age. Again, for the sample in the Philippines, we have the non-contributory pension which starts at 60 years old. However, this non-contributory pension is only targeted to what we call indigent senior citizens. So which countries have made good samples? or effective coverage of informal workers. There are some countries who manage to have a universal pension by one, expanding the contributory pension, and two, introducing the non-contributory pension. This is the Thailand, for an instance. Thailand has both contributory and non-contributory pension. Their government actually provides matching contribution under the voluntary scheme so that it can encourage the, those who are working in the informal economy to contribute to the government, to contribute to the voluntary social insurance scheme. And on top of that, they also introduce non-contributory pension ranging from 600 to 1,000 baht. But it uh, depends on your age or this is around 18 to 30 US dollars. And this is provided for those who do not have any pension. So technically, they have what we call a universal pension coverage because virtually everyone, up to 95% of their population, have at least a pension. So that's one sample. Um, another sample is in Zanzibar, where they also introduced in 2016 a universal... This is... Um, a social pension financed fully by the government. So this is around $9. And they cover high poverty and high work informality. So while the benefit is actually modest because this is just $9 per month. So but it's it's a first step towards expanding their universal pension. So that's a, those are just one of the samples on where countries have effectively covered older informal workers' income security. So let's talk about gender. How would a gender-sensitive pension scheme design would look like? So the, the contributory system is actually based on what you contribute. So many of this pension system or the private pension system actually accentuate gender inequality because many of uh, the ownership of individual accounts precludes any transfers from men to women and such systems commonly use mortality tables. I said earlier that women outlives men, right? And so some of the private pension system, they compute the pension based on your life expectancy. So if the women lives longer, so the pension benefit they get is actually lower than men. So that's one of the uh, biases that we have in the pension. Another is the, uh, one scheme commonly used by countries is what we call the defined benefit system. 
The defined benefit system is actually determines the level of your pension by referencing to your previous earnings. So if women actually have um, less access to work and pay less and they receive lower pay than men, meaning their contributions to the pension is lower. So consequently, when they get their pension with older age, they receive less than men because they contributed less. They also do not have a continuous contribution. And we know this is because of the care work that they do. Because once you get a child, you stop working and then you just continue and you just stop paying your contribution. And if you're working the informal economy, then you also do not pay voluntarily to the schemes. So that's why at older age, you have you have lesser pension. Another gender-specific issue in terms of the pension is there are some pension system that actually discriminates women. For an instance, if you are a survivor's pensioner, it, meaning you, you are receiving the pension after the death of your husband, you can remarry, but he, the pension you are receiving will be removed from you. So, of course, many do not declare that they marry again so that they can keep their pension. So, these are just some of the biases that we have in terms of our pension system. And you can see that more women are actually uh, have lesser pension coverage or have lower pension benefits than older men. So from what you could follow, in which ways has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted older informal workers' lives? And, and again, more specifically, how has this impacted Southeast Asian informal workers? Yeah, um, we know sadly that all over the world, Older persons are disproportionately affected by this pandemic. The numbers are actually staggering. If you just look at the fatalities in coronavirus, for instance, in the United States and East Asia, around 80% of the fatalities due to coronavirus have occurred in adults aged 65 years old and over. So these are just the latest data. And also, for instance, in Europe or Australia, the figures are even higher. Like 94 and 97% of deaths have been among 60 years old and above. But while older persons are affected disproportionately, let's look also that older men and older women are affected differently by the pandemic. For example, the infection rates and the mortality rates are actually higher among older men because they have also more comorbidities than older women. But in terms of the social and economic impact, it's actually the older women who bear the brunt of the economic and social impact of COVID-19. For instance, um, there's among women, there's increase of burden of care because their children are, or their grandchildren are actually just at home and so that it means that they have to look after their grandchildren while their children are working and they have to take care as well with their husband that they have um, may, maybe has some disability or bedridden. Also, it increases violence among older women and men who are also have more exposure to their perpetrators who are also just at home. 
and also more importantly the loss of livelihood particularly of older women because there are more older women in the informal economy than older men some countries have imposed movement restrictions particularly to older persons so it makes it more difficult for them many older persons still go out to work particularly those in the informal economy because they have no choice they either die from hunger at home or they or they can risk and then go out and uh, find some living because as as you know in southeast asia and particularly like i mentioned there are only less than a third have a pension so if you do not have any means of income and your children also lost their jobs so that means you have to work even you know that you are at risk mm. so what has changed with the pandemic both in terms of the older workers demands for social protection and in terms of the responses to these new demands that emerged yeah in interestingly in the region you can see some initiatives uh, targeted to older persons and this is really good there are generally three responses to these demands in in the region um one is there has been some new emergency packages introduced um this is in the case of Myanmar and Malaysia where they introduce new emergency packages just for older person another are some one off payments so this is in the case of China and also in Thailand in Thailand they actually give uh, 1000 baht for 3 months but this is just a one off payment so meaning after after 3 months no more additional support this is in particular to older persons not just older persons in the informal economy and last is boosting the existing scheme so it means that these schemes are already in place then they just added additional support for instance in hong kong or in china where they just added for their existing social protection for older persons but i just would like to highlight that the pandemic actually didn't break the social protection system it actually exposed a broken system So you can see in the region there's very few who have pensions and older persons are vulnerable to the pandemic and they do not have pension. So I think the opportunity is there that now we know the gaps and now we need to work so that at least we can provide a basic social protection or social protection floor for vulnerable older persons particularly those who are working in the informal economy. Mm. So apart from the access to sources of income, one important concern f- from informal workers is access to healthcare. What are the main strategies that countries have adopted to cover older informal workers in their healthcare systems? Um health is really important um aspect of social protection. In fact, if you could just look at some of the data, although there's really not an, no in-depth data on this, but some literature suggests that workers in the informal economy are more at risk for negative health effects in later life. But there are very few um, initiatives on 
particularly targeted to workers in the informal economy regarding their healthcare. Many have introduced universal healthcare, which we know for a fact could, of course, directly or indirectly impact those um, aging informal workers. But one, in my mind, one specific sample is uh, the universal healthcare insurance for older persons in, in the Philippines. Um, this is um, the mandatory PhilHealth coverage. Uh, PhilHealth is the health insurance, the national health insurance program. So by age of 60, the government will pay for your healthcare premium. Um, and then when you get hospitalized, you get benefit packages from the insurance, but it will not cover entirely your hospitalization unless you are in a public hospital. So these are just some of samples targeted to older persons in general, but not into just older workers in the informal economy. But Ultimately, it will affect more informal workers because these are the workers who have not have access to formal work while they were younger. Mm. So to wrap up our talk, what are the main trends that you have been observing regarding the policies for social protection schemes for older informal workers? Um, what we are observing are generally around um, countries with high informality there's some increasing interest and also initiatives towards social pension particularly universal social pension for example in myanmar um, they have introduced their social pension they actually just started initially at 95 or 90 years old and now they reduce the age also because of the pandemic they reduce the the age to i think 75 or 80. So, but these are some of the new schemes. Some of the countries are starting universal but with higher age rather than starting a targeted scheme. So, I think many countries are also seeing the difference and also the effect or impact of having universal pension versus the targeted social pension. So, I think these are good trends and that we hope more countries will follow suit and that evidence are clear and also evidence are are present in terms of the impact of universal pensions to workers in the informal economy as an important pillar for a universal social protection and we hope that in the future there are more countries who will be developing a system like this, not only for the older persons or older workers of today, but also the informal workers in the future. Excellent. Laura Sevilla, thank you very much. Thank you to Cyrus. And if you want to learn more about social protection needs for older informal workers, we will leave some links at the description of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And please follow Wego on Twitter and Facebook to get the latest updates on our research publications and advocacy campaigns to support informal workers in their struggle to improve their livelihoods. I am Sirius Afshar, and this was the Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection.